1: Welcome to Disabled Persons Assembly's Notable Radio Show. DPA is the voice of all disabled people, whether the disability be physical, sensory, learning, psychosocial or age-related. Over the next half hour, we'll discover how we can work collaboratively to achieve inclusion for all New Zealanders. DPA's Notable Radio Show, a whole new attitude. Hello everyone, welcome to Disabled Persons Assembly Notable Radio on this Friday, the 18th of February 2022, welcome one, welcome all, hopefully you had a good Waitangi weekend about a week or so ago, despite the fact that there were no commemorations, or at least uh, public commemorations around the country, most of them were online, but at least we got to celebrate. The day when 172 years, 182 years, I think, ago now, that we as the the people of te Tetiti came together with our Tangata whenua to sign te Tetiti Owatangi. Anyway, today on the show, I, I'm thinking I've been thinking rather that we should introduce you to some of the new committee members who have joined DPA's local committee and indeed DPA nationally over the last year. And one of them is Amy Taylor, who's you you may have seen in the star recently, as she has been promoting a petition about the issues around the leadership of the ministry for new ministry for disabled people anyway uh, uh, today we have amy talking to us so welcome along amy Good, chris okay amy so what's your disability journey been like how did it begin for you
2: well, I guess I was born with severe in-towing, um, which really limited my mobility. Um, they did surgery, but, like, it's caused me chronic pain. So I still have mobility limitations as an adult.
0: Um, on a good day,
2: you wouldn't know. but um, So, um, yeah, I, I guess more as an adult than as a child, I sort of <sighs> – Found myself headbutting barriers um, around, around disability. I have bilateral hearing loss, which is also an issue for me. And I deal with um, chronic diseases. I have a cell disease. I also um, have uh, dysautonomia. So it's very complicated for me on a day to day. But yeah, there's, there's a lot of barriers to actually being in the workforce when you deal with disabilities.
1: Absolutely, yeah, and we'll talk more about that later. But anyway, what has been your background in terms of your career? And I understand that you're married and have a young family as well. So, ah, mm.
2: uh, Yes, yeah, so I do have a young family. I'm, I'm married to Simon Connell, who's a lecturer in the law faculty, and he also does a lot of work in the disability sector. Um, we have two little girls, Caroline, who's seven, and Melanie May, who's four. Um, in terms of my career, um, I did a PhD in genetics many years ago I mean, in a very, very disability-friendly environment and it was a bit of a shock to my system to come out of that environment into the real working world where things were not really the same. Um, so, yeah, I really, really struggled um, with working in science as a disabled person and as a woman, for that matter, having children while I was Um, trying to work in that really cutthroat environment was really hard Um, yeah and then I decided to switch over to teaching which I was disappointed to find is equally uninclusive Um, yeah so at the moment I'm just home with kids but I'm doing quite a lot of unpaid advocacy work which I really love but it's kind of yeah it's disappointing in a way that, that I couldn't be doing the things that I studied so hard to be able to do
1: that's right. I, I guess that would be one of those frustrations for you that there are so many barriers to actually including disabled people and in, in, no, in no sense. Anyway, I understand that you grew up and lived the first two years of your adult life in apartheid and post apartheid South Africa. What was that like?
2: Oh, honestly, my parents made every effort to shelter us from apartheid. I don't know that I particularly much knew what it was. Um, It ended when I was only seven years old. So um, I have some memories, some sort of little anecdote things. My dad always used to pay the tax on people's bread because it wasn't included. We didn't have value added tax. So people didn't always didn't have enough money for their basic groceries. I remember that clearly. Um, I found that, yeah, in post-apartheid South Africa, there was, there was a lot of corruption in government. But again, we lived a very, very sheltered existence as white middle-class people. Um So in many ways, like the politics of New Zealand are more apparent on a daily basis than they are in South Africa, which is, I guess, rather odd.
1: Mm. And the growing up in that, type of political environment shape your views around disability rights and human rights to any extent
2: uh, I think that've always been very very aware that um, yeah people live in extreme poverty in South Africa and um, my family always encouraged us to do charitable work uh, I always felt that <laughs> In terms of being involved in politics, it's really, really difficult in a country post-apartheid where one um, political party has so much control, so making a political movement is very, very difficult. But grassroots-type programs I've always been involved in.
1: And what sort of grassroots-type programs have you been involved in in the past?
2: Um, So I did a lot of charitable work through through Girl Guiding, actually, Interestingly enough, um, uh, also the Santa Shoebox Project is a is a big thing in South Africa. We just basically collecting um, everyday items for children that are gifted to them at Christmas. So yeah, uh, that was something that my family always always did on yearly basis. In fact, my family still do it. Um, and w- some work with disabled children through through girl guiding.
1: Mm, mm, mm. Now, given that you're a member of the deaf community as well, is that correct that you self-identify as that? Is that right?
2: Yeah, so I so I mean I'm hard of hearing. I would not say I'm certainly not profoundly deaf. We're having this conversation right now, um, so like, but I do identify as culturally deaf. I engage with the culture, and I'm on the committee of the targeted society.
1: Uh-huh. So, what are the current issues, as you understand them, from your perspective, your unique perspective, that face a deaf community?
2: Oh, Right now, I mean, it's a lot about isolation. Social isolation is a huge thing in the deaf community, it always has been, but with mosques, I, it's a real challenge and it's one of the things that I find very challenging. I, for example, yesterday I took my four-year-old to her before school check and the nurse was wearing a mask. And we, even when I pointed out I was part of hearing, she would not remove it. And it made the whole interaction very complicated. And, um, yeah, I think that can cause people to ha- really struggle with their mental health and, and become quite close and isolated.
1: Mm-hmm. That's one of the issues that has arisen that we know of at DPA. Around the issues of exemptions for facial coverings and their necessity in some cases, but yet their abuse in other instances. But anyway, we're not going to get into too much into Mm -hmm. that. But personally speaking, what disability Mm -hmm. issues are the most important for you currently? For example, what do you see as the main barriers for disabled and deaf parents like yourself?
2: Oh, I think for. Disabled and deaf parents. One of the biggest things is access to work. I mean, it's a lot of work having small children in the first place, but it's access to paid work um, is is a huge thing. Is that yeah, um, wanting flexibility in work. I think that COVID has taught us that we can have a lot more positions that work from home that have flexible working hours and that actually needs to translate into, into jobs for people because there's a huge number of people with disabilities that are just not in the workforce because of the issues of flexibility and accessibility. Um, in terms of being a parent, um, I think people often look at me and and say you're not disabled um I definitely most of my disabilities are invisible but it's really really challenging parenting when you like for instance I didn't get up until 12 o'clock today because I had a really really bad stomach and that's my daily that's (laughs) (laughs) so trying to deal with with that um and and parent is, is very challenging and there's very little in the way of help
1: available in the um, welfare sector for that. Yeah, and you, just pointing that out, really, there is very minimal support. What do you think needs to be done to make sure that that support is there, given that we're now heading towards an enabling good lives approach as well? ah, uh, I
2: think that yeah identifying what people's real challenges are on a day-to-day basis i think that we tend towards disabilities in the medical model and there's a lot of gaslighting that goes on and um doctors not sort of wanting to pin down diagnoses but the reality for a lot of people is they struggle with symptoms and people with like chronic fatigue syndrome um are actually really disabled, but getting diagnoses for that to actually get any welfare help is a huge problem. Um, So on a practical side, I would really like some help around the house. Our house is a war zone. I have two tiny little people who Mm. are crazy and I'm sick a lot of the time. Um, And my husband has to work to support us. So, yeah, it is quite challenging. And, I I mean, because I'm from South Africa, we don't have any family here to support us. So it's all on us. It is challenging.
1: No doubt it would be. And... Personally, uh, so, so, but basically, what do you want to get out of your time on the DPA dealing committee, and in terms of DPA activism? Um,
2: I think I'd like to shine a bit of a light on invisible disabilities, and that, that people can be quite unwell behind closed doors, and things that you don't necessarily know about. Um, Toilet access is a big thing for me. I know I know this is something that people don't necessarily like to talk about, but I had one workplace where they had toilets on every floor which suited me perfectly well. And they suddenly decided that they needed more office space and that sort of took an hour or two out of my day having to climb up and down stairs to use the loo. And they don't take that into consideration. Um, I think that Yeah, so, so little things can make a big difference to people. I think that the building accessibility issues like toilets are a big thing. But yeah, realizing that people may not look disabled on the outside, but they are actually dealing with a lot of challenges.
1: Now, you raise some, a very good point there because, for example, people think about and toilet accessibility, for example, as being an issue for people like myself who use wheelchairs or mobility aids, but it's not just that, isn't it? It's people... Where, for example, I think it's people with Crohn's disease and other health conditions and impairments that need really access to toileting mm-hmm. facilities and not just accessible ones, but having toilets which are close by and, and, and spaced in, in, reasonable, in reasonable distances.
2: Yeah, very much so. I'm one of those people that knows where every public toilet in Dunedin is. Um, I have little kids and I have my own needs. So um, yeah, there aren't enough of them. And uh, I mean, it is a real issue for people.
1: I think the Council wants to tackle that as well, and I think that that was – we were involved in discussions last year. But anyway, ultimately, what future would you like to see for disabled and deaf people going forward in our country and globally?
2: Uh, I would like to see true equal access – I would like to be able to be in paid employment and be able to contribute. I'm an intelligent person who's done a lot of study. I've got something to give. Um, but it needs to be on my terms and that sort of consultation, every person's disability is as unique as the person themselves. So you need to be talking to the person who has disabilities and actually know from them what they need. And we need to have the funding surrounding that to support people into paid employment.
1: Okay, that's that's a very good way to end today's interview. And, uh, and this is the first time, by the way, that you've talked on the radio, or, or apart from obviously to the print media and the staff. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
2: Uh, I guess in this sector when when I was when I was a scientist in my former life, <laughs> I, I certainly did talk on the radio a bit, but but not a great deal. So it's 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 new and interesting to me.
1: Ah, oh, that's good. Well, thank you for coming on the program anyway, Amy. It's good to have you on the DPA committee. As such, a uh, you will be no doubt a very valuable member of our team on the committee, local committee and you've uh, been quite active in DPA already at the local and national levels attending some of our Zoom hui, but that's Amy Taylor, who's one of our new regional executive committee members for DPA Dunedin. We'll be talking to somebody of others hopefully if they want to come on the programme, but that will hopefully be within the next month or so if that does happen. At any rate, we'll have a track now and they'd all come back and wind up the program
0: Just a small town girl never living-
1: Well, we're back after that track, chosen by Dobby, our wonderful tech person here at Otago Access Radio or FM. We've got one more notice before we go for this week, and it's a reminder about a hui, an online-only hui, which is only for DPA members, which will be held next week. And I'll also give you as part of this notice... A link as to where you can join as a DPA member, if you are eligible, of course, to join DPA. And here is the notice, just a reminder, that the DPA dunedin Hui with the Honourable David Clark, MP, the MP for Dunedin, and Cabinet Minister as Minister of Commerce, Consumer Affairs, state-owned enterprises, statistics, digital economy and communications, and he's also the Minister responsible for the Earthquake Commission. The date for that is next Wednesday, the 23rd of February and will be on a, a Zoom online only meeting given we're in red at the moment and the time for that will be between 12 noon and 1 30. All DPA members are welcome and should have been invited via email. If disabled people from outside DPA who are not currently members wish to join the hui and if you are eligible to become DPA members please go to the DPA membership page on our website. And that's also been provided on a number of notices that have gone around online. If people have any questions, so basically, go to the DPA website, sorry, I should just say, go to the DPA website at www.dpa.org.nz and go to the membership page. If people have any questions ahead of the day or wish to pass on an issue they wish to ask of David at the meeting, as he may need to get brief before the meeting depending on the question, please email me via dunedin at dpa.org.nz That address again is dunedin at dpa.org.nz You may also text me on 027- Six nine six zero eight seven two. We look forward to seeing as many people there as possible. On that note, I will say adieu for another week. And Kakitiano, we'll see you again on Friday, the fourth of March. Kakitiano,
2: Disabled Persons Assembly is Aotearoa New Zealand's first pan-disability organisation, acting as the voice of all disabled people, whether the disability be physical, sensory, learning, psychosocial or age-related. Dunedin meetings are held on the second Wednesday of each month and we can provide free transport assistance and a New Zealand sign language interpreter when required. If you'd like to know more, call Chris Ford on 476-7579 or 027-696-0872. And you'll find our national website at www.dpa.org.nz. Disabled Persons Assembly. A whole new attitude.
0: This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin, with support from New Zealand On the Air.